if we don't do this, military coups will remain a very dangerous part uh, of government in Africa and will continue to threaten peace and security uh, in African countries. Hello, and welcome back to the Hopkins podcast on foreign affairs. My name is Amanda Yun, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Cameron Brown. Since August of last year, there have been more coups in sub-Saharan Africa than at any other time for the past two decades. Mali in August 2020, Chad in April 2020, Mali again in May 2021, Guinea in September, and Sudan just last month. In this episode, we will discuss the recent trend of turmoil and democratic instability on the African continent, as seen through these successful and attempted coup d'etats. We seek to understand how these power grabs threaten a reversal of the democratic progress Africa has undergone. What are the root causes of these disruptions? Is the current moment a turning point? To what extent can international institutions step in and prevent these coup d'etats from continuing? And of course, what is in store for the future of the African continent? We are joined today by Professor Johns Mukum Mubaku. John Mukum Mbaku is an attorney and counselor at law and Brady Presidential Distinguished Professor of Economics and the John Hinckley Research Fellow at the Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. His most recent books are Protecting Minority Rights in African Countries, A Constitutional Political Economy Approach, and Governing the Nile River Basin, The Search for a New Legal Regime. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor. Thank you. Can you briefly talk to our listeners about the most recent coup in Sudan? Uh, Prior to the coup, there was a power-sharing agreement that was made between both military and civilian leaders in the wake of the Sudanese revolution. How did this agreement come to be, and what exactly were the terms of this agreement? Well, um, uh, one one thing that we need to keep in mind when we look at uh, military coups in Africa is that uh, when you go back to the time of uh, independence, uh, for example, uh, independence in uh, uh, Egypt and uh, independence in other African countries, the military believed at the time and still does so today that they were in a better position to move African countries ahead, primarily because they argued that They were more disciplined, more well-educated, especially their officers, and had the kind of uh, uh, leadership skills that they believe would allow African countries to move uh, forward more effectively than the civilian uh, civilian leaders that were taken over from the Europeans when the Europeans left. So if you look at uh, the example of Egypt, you see that uh, uh, Colonel Nasser and... uh, the group of uh, officers who were referred to as Colonel uh, uh, and his fellow officers believed that they were in a much better position to move Egypt ahead than any other group in the country. That's why they overthrew the king uh, uh, in 1952. And that particular coup uh, by the military ushered in a, a situation in which all of a sudden, other military officers in Africa, uh, Sudan in 1958, uh, followed by several other military coups in other African countries, the military started considering itself as the group that would uh, lead Africa to the kind of success that African countries needed. 
1958, there was a coup in uh, 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 Sudan, and that coup was followed by another one in 1971, and then in 1985, there was another coup, uh, and in 1989, uh, there was another coup in Sudan led by Omar al-Bashir, who ended up ruling Sudan for uh, nearly 30 years. And so in uh, 2019, uh, after 30 years in government, many Sudanese believe that the military had not done anything to significantly improve living conditions in the country. In addition to that, Sudan, uh, in addition to the fact that Sudan was suffering from a lot of uh, economic problems, uh, the government had not been able to deal with uh, sectarian violence, for example, the problems in the Darfur region of Sudan. So in 2019, there were a lot of uh, uh, mass uh, uh, um, demonstrations on the streets against the al-Bashir regime. And that gave uh, um, the military uh, an opportunity to come in and overthrow the government making the same arguments that had been made in 1958, which is that the military was in a much better position to provide for uh, peaceful coexistence and move the country ahead in terms of economic development and, and so on and so on. So the so uh, al-Bashir was thrown out of power and uh, the one of the coup leaders, uh, uh, General Abdel Fatal al-Burhan, uh, took over, and the a draft constitution was uh, uh, was uh, adopted, and the draft constitution created a a governing body called the so the sovereignty council, uh, and that council was made up of eleven uh, um, eleven members, uh, five civilians. Uh, chosen by uh, the military council and five military officers, also, also rather, uh, sorry, uh, five civilians chosen by a, a civilian group and uh, five uh, military officers chosen by the transitional military government and a civilian uh, uh, chosen by the two of them. So uh, they were given this. Uh, uh, a transitional council was given um, 21 months to bring the to bring the to to uh, uh, transition the country to democracy. In October 25th, uh, Sudan's top general Abdel Fattah Burhan essentially took control of the country, ending this agreement. What led to the seizure of power, and what did the immediate aftermath look like? Now. Um, it is important to note that most of the members of this council, this transitional council, were male. There were only two females on uh, 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 the council. And the constitution, the, the, the new constitution specifically said that members of this council were not allowed to participate as candidates for public office in the elections that were going to be scheduled at the end of the transition a transitional period. This is very important because it has been suggested that this might this might have been one of the reasons why the military 
conducted the coup uh, on October uh, 25, 2021, and basically uh, uh, destroyed the transitional council that was supposed to lead the country to democracy. So on October 25, 2021, uh, uh, the leader of the uh, transitional council, uh, General uh, Fatah uh, al-Burhan, uh, um, overthrew the, uh, took control of the government and basically dissolved the council and sacked the prime minister, uh, Abdallah Hamdok, and other government officials uh, and uh, uh, put them under uh, house arrest. You might say, okay, what does this have to do with the way Sudan is today? One of the things we need to uh, learn from this is that since independence from Egypt and uh, uh, Britain in uh, 1956, the military has uh, put itself forward as the only institution or the only faction within Sudan that is capable of providing for uh, proper governing of Sudan. This is an unfortunate uh, uh, view of politics, but it is something that happens throughout most of Africa in that a lot of uh, soldiers believe that they are the ones who have the discipline to govern uh, their own countries. And so we can see not just problems in Sudan, you can see what is going on in Egypt with uh, uh, the situation over there where the military is still in control of the country, or in Mali, where the military continues to interfere in governance, or in Guinea, where you have the same problem, where uh, democratic elected governments uh, are overthrown by soldiers who believe that uh, the, the mistakes that these democratically elected governments are making soldiers can come in and solve those problems. And so these democratically elected governments are not given the opportunity to make mistakes and learn from them and allow the, uh, uh, the democratic system to move forward. It is true that African governments uh, are having a lot of problems. Um, the government of um, uh, 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 Mohamed Morsi in Egypt, for example, had a lot of problems during the, uh, its first year. Uh, the government of uh, uh, Conde in Guinea, Alpha Conde in Guinea, had a lot of problems, and you have this, you see the same problems occurring in government throughout the country, throughout the continent. But what we believe is that if these governments are allowed to make the mistakes that they are making, and with the help of the uh, uh, civil society, they, these governments can learn from those mistakes and the, the democratic system can be allowed to move forward. Uh, and as time uh, goes on, those problems can be corrected by strong institutions, uh, robust civil societies, uh, and so on and so on. And that the military uh, is not the appropriate uh, institution to come in and try to correct those uh, problems. And the reason is that when the military comes in, uh, uh, things usually get worse, especially given the fact that many of these military officers usually don't have interest in promoting democratic systems. Instead, they have an interest in uh, maximizing their own objectives. And as you can see, uh, what has happened to Sudan is that since uh, independence, uh, military intervention has not allowed the country to develop its democratic system. Uh, the same problem in Egypt. 
and you can see uh, similar issues in Nigeria where the military ruled the country for more than 30 years and in the process destroyed uh, the country's opportunity to develop a democratic institution. So what we would say about Sudan today is that the, the way forward for Sudan is for the military to completely disengage itself from politics, return to the barracks, and allow civilians to rule the country. Uh, it is true that civilians will make mistakes, but that is the process of uh, learning to transition the country to a democratic system. So uh, the uh, military officers in Sudan and in other African countries should leave politics alone, return to the barracks, and do what and, and perform those uh, uh, jobs that are uh, granted them through the constitution, and that is to defend the borders. Uh, this, as, as military officers, they should subject themselves to civilian control and remain in the barracks and only come out when it is necessary for them to defend the country's borders or to help the country construct bridges and do other uh, uh, important, uh, uh, ish, I mean, important jobs, such as uh, managing uh, disasters and so on and so on, and leave uh, administration of the country to elected civilian uh, uh, officials. So you're discussing that really the best way forward is for the military disengage, but what incentives really are there for them to take that position and to take a step back and, like you said, return to the barracks, especially since, like you mentioned earlier, there was this uh, sort of mindset that they have that they're the ones best equipped, they're the ones with the discipline to effectively govern the countries that they're tasked with defending. Okay, that's a very good question. Uh, if, if We can learn from developed countries in, in Northern Europe and North America, like the U.S. and Canada, and you can ask the same question. What compels the military in these countries to leave politics alone? Uh, the, the military in these countries have constitutional constraints on them. Uh, they are constrained by the law, uh, especially the constitutions of the country. They are also constrained by a, a tradition uh, of uh, uh, a tradition in which in the U.S. the military has always been uh, uh, subservient uh, to a civilian rule. So in, in the African countries, uh, we, we see here that uh, African countries need to develop institutions that subject the military to a civilian control and uh, uh, make sure that the military understands right from it, from the start that they have no place in 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 a, a government. Um, you, we can do that by through institutional design. Uh, there are many countries in Africa that have done that. Uh, uh, South Africa, for example, has a very good constitution that specifically requires the military to be subjected to uh, civilian control, and that if the military then uh, 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 tries to act otherwise, then the, the national institutions, for example, there's, uh, the courts would basically tell the military that you cannot do what it is you are trying to do. So in, in the case of a military coup, for example, in a country where you have those types of institutions, where you have strong uh, uh, institutions with an independent judiciary, uh, uh, a strong executive and uh, uh, an independent 
bicameral uh, legislature and robust civil society if the military overthrows the government. These institutions can immediately go into place and reject uh, 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 the, uh, what the military has done. If you look at what happened in Guinea uh, uh, early this year, when the military overthrew the, the government of Guinea, you would see that the uh, Constitutional Court did not do anything in terms of basically telling the military that what you have done is illegal, is unconstitutional. Uh, the uh, Constitutional Court didn't do that. The second thing is that uh, instead of rejecting military intervention in politics, uh, civilians went on the streets and were celebrating the, uh, what the military had done. Uh, in, a, in a country where uh, citizens understand their constitution and accept their constitution as the highest law in the land, if the military engages in that kind of uh, 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 intervention in politics, civilians would oppose the military. It is true that uh, soldiers have guns and can kill people, but that doesn't mean that the, 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 the people have to accept military rule. So what, what, what I'm saying here is that uh, it is true that uh, the African military has this belief that it is the one institution in the country that can govern the country more e effectively than all the other institutions. This can be uh, take this problem or this uh, 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 approach to uh, uh, politics can simply be taken away from the military by uh, telling the military that when you take an oath uh, to defend the country, your job is not to interfere in politics. And that if a military officer were to engage in uh, overthrow of the country, that the regime established after that uh, uh, military coup would not be accepted by the courts will not be accepted by the people and will not be accepted by the uh, le uh, legislative branch of government. I know that it would be very difficult uh, 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 for many countries uh, because soldiers have guns, but if, the, if these institutions, including civil society, say no, I'm sure that eventually, with the help of the African Union, and international organizations like the United Nations, the military will be sent back to the barracks. And uh, 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 eventually, uh, soldiers will begin to understand that they are not uh, uh, placed in those positions to interfere with the politics of the uh, 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 countries. So do you see then this, uh, this wave of, the current wave of coup Coups, excuse me, as more a failure of existing institutions rather than a consequence of the situationally tenuous nature of these democratic transitions that were overthrown. Uh, like, it would, would it be a really consequence of these sort of structural problems? And and uh, and it wasn't just a matter of these transitions being set up to fail. Well, I think what is happening in these countries is that uh, uh, you 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 remember that uh, uh, in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen nineties. When many African countries started uh, at this transition to democratic rule, especially after the apartheid system in South Africa was abolished and the country uh, transitioned to uh, a fully democratic system, that that sort of transition uh, 
uh, uh, grassroots-based uh, transitions were, go, uh, were going on all over Africa. And many of these countries were introducing new constitutions that uh, uh, emphasize a separation of powers with uh, 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 checks and balances. Uh, and some of those checks were supposed to be an independent supreme, uh, 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 I, mean, I mean, an independent judiciary, uh, a bicameral, um, uh, uh, I mean, a bicameral legislature, uh, and strong civil societies. This is what was going on in Africa, and many Africans believe that these transitions would uh, get rid of the military as a uh, 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 as a power in politics, because from the 1960s up until the 1990s, there had been a lot of military coups in Africa. I counted over 34 of them, and many people believed back in the in the early 1970s all the way up to the uh, Arab Spring, that the, the time of the military uh, participating in government was over. This was the belief. And that the one way to, to, to make sure this happened was to come up with new uh, constitutions that specifically uh, subjected the military to civilian rule. The problem with that process is that even though many of these countries came up, came up with new constitutions, those constitutions were not designed in ways in which the military would be, would be uh, uh, successfully subjected to civilian rule. And so what was happening is that in many of these countries, uh, presidents in those countries were behaving in such a way uh, that many uh, 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 citizens began to, re uh, to, to argue uh, uh, whether the transitions to democracy had, uh, had uh, actually succeeded. For example, in countries such as Cameroon, Uganda, what was happening was that, yes, there was a transition and new constitutions were written and adopted and presidents were subjected to two terms after this new constitution came into effect. But what was happening was that those same presidents who had agreed on those, trans, uh, those new constitutions and the term limits simply were going on and changing the constitutions to allow them to continue to stay in power indefinitely. So you see in Cameroon, the president had agreed to two terms, but when those, in anticipation of those two terms coming, uh, uh, coming to an end, he had the constitution easily changed so that he could remain in power indefinitely. So from 1996, when the new constitution came up in Cameroon, the president is still in power even till today, and the, the, the new term that he's serving uh, is supposed to expire in 2025. And you see the same problem in uh, uh, Uganda. You see the same problem in Rwanda and in Togo. So all, the, so all of a sudden, uh, 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 citizens are saying, wait a minute, what happened to the transition? And so citizens are angered by the fact that the, their leaders are using their positions to continue to perpetuate themselves in government, engage in corrupt activities, uh, engage in gross uh, abuse of human rights, engage in uh, problems that lead to extreme poverty, ignore, uh, uh, continue to ignore uh, development, especially of groups like women and uh, eth ethnic minorities. So all these problems, 
and citizens start going on the streets and demonstrating because they are not satisfied with their governments. Even though these governments ha have new constitutions that are supposed to make it possible for, for more citizens to participate in government, make it possible for the military to stay at home. That is not happening. So all these demonstrations start happening throughout the continent and the military then uses those demonstrations as an opportunity to, to intervene, to come back. You see, so you see in Guinea, there are demonstrations on the streets because Conde, uh, his two terms come to an end and Conde changes the constitution so he can stay in power. You see the same problem uh, in Cameroon, in that uh, uh, in, in Cameroon now has what uh, uh, amounts to a civil war because of the same problems. You see the same problems in Uganda and so on and so on. So what is happening is that uh, soldiers who were supposed to stay in the barracks as a result of the institutional reforms that were uh, conducted after uh, uh, in the early 1990s all the way to the uh, uh, 2000s, okay? That didn't happen as a result Africans are frustrated, and soldiers are using that frustration as an opportunity to return to government. Not that they are going to do any better, even though that's the claim they're making. They get into government, and they are going to be even worse than the civilians that they overthrew. So we are, go we are going back to what happened in the early 1960s, where these military officers were claiming that they would be better for government than the civilians. And so what we are seeing now is that these soldiers are coming back and they're taking over power. So the only way forward for Africa is for African countries to engage in uh, effective uh, institutional reforms, the types of reforms that will make it, would provide institutions that will make it very difficult for soldiers to take over government. You are not going to be able to totally prevent soldiers from taking over government, but you create institutions, you create environments in which if soldiers take over government, civil society will reject the, uh, the, the attempt or the effort, the courts will reject the effort, and the legislature will reject the effort, and with the help of the international community, uh, th those attempts can be defeated. Now. But however, in order for this to happen, you have to create institutions that make it very, very difficult for civilian uh, authorities to abuse their powers. So when someone, is in, 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 when someone is elected president and is supposed to serve two terms, that person should serve only two terms. So you have to make the constitution relatively difficult to be, uh, to, to be easily manipulated to allow the president to stay in power indefinitely. Uh, when someone engages in self-dealing and corruption, that person should, be, should easily be prosecuted by uh, uh, the courts and held accountable. When someone engages in corruption, that person should be able to be prosecuted easily uh, and thrown out of power. Now, with respect to elections, uh, the new institutions to make it possible so that civilians can, uh, voters can use elections to throw out 
uh, of power individuals who are not serving uh, uh, the people, who are not doing what the people elected them to do. Now, if you have these kinds of institutions, these kinds of uh, uh, constitutions, uh, then you place African countries in a position in which it will be very difficult for the military to intervene and uh, stay in power. This is what is happening in the developed countries in in, in uh, northern in Europe and in America. That if you are uh, 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 a military, say in the U.S. or in Canada, it will be very difficult for you to overthrow the government because the institutions and civil society will not allow you to get away with it. This is what we need in Africa, and I think it's not very difficult for for this to be done. It only depends on how well African countries can get together and provide themselves with the, with the type of institutions that will make it much more difficult for uh, a military officer to overthrow the government and get away with it. Excellent. So you talked about various domestic mechanisms that can be used to prevent these coups from happening, building strong institutions, civil society, um, ensuring that the courts are able to check the power of military rulers. Um, My next question is, what tools does the international community have? You briefly mentioned that they should also be stepping in in order to prevent these. So I'm curious, what tools does the international community have either the United Nations or the African Union to punish these dictatorships or prevent coups from happening in the first place? Okay, the the international community has a lot of tools. Now, some of them are not very effective. And so when we look at the international community, like the United Nations, uh, one of the things we have to note is that the United Nations does not really have an enforcement uh, arm to it. Uh, it's not like uh, it has a, a police force that it can easily send to a country and tell the country to uh, behave in a certain way. But that doesn't mean that uh, the, the United Nations and the African Union don't have a, a role to play because uh, uh, these are important institutions that African con- or organizations that African countries belong to. And if you belong to an organization, there are ways in which uh, that organization can punish you and uh, make it possible for you to behave in a certain way. So let's look at the African Union. The the, The African Union has a policy towards military coups that was organized uh, or put into place by uh, uh, its predecessor, the Organization of African Unity. And that uh, policy towards military coups or unconstitutional change of government is uh, embedded in the Lomé Declaration. It can also be found in the African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance, and also in the Constitutive Act of the African Union. And so what that policy uh, basically does is uh, it says that, uh, I'm just uh, summarizing it. What it says is that, uh, number one, um, all African countries should uh, provide themselves with democratic institutions. They should respect the constitution and adhere to the provisions of the law, uh, they should have separation of powers with checks and balances, including an independent judiciary. They should also po- promote political pluralism or other forms of participatory democracy. 
guarantee freedom of expression and freedom of the press, respect human rights and fundamental freedoms, uh, if an African country were to do this, you were to do all these things that the African Union has told them to do, then you immediately see that the military coup doesn't belong uh, in any of these countries because the military coup would be a direct uh, violation of uh, one of these uh, elements, and uh, that is respect for the constitution and respect for the uh, rule of law. Since the African Union wants all African countries to respect their constitutions and respect the rule of law, if, if you are a soldier in any of the African countries and you respect the rule of law, then you will not engage in a, 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 a military coup. Now, the African Union also defines situations which they believe constitute unconstitutional change of government. And, and here are some of those situations. A military coup d'etat against a democratically elected government is considered uh, an illegal activity or an unconstitutional uh, change of government. Intervention by mercenaries to replace a democratically uh, elected government. The replacement of a democratically elected government by armed dissidents and rebel groups. Okay. Um, now the this is what the the Lomo, the uh, Lomé declaration uh, uh, said. Now there is another thing that the African uh, uh, Union also said, and that is any amendment or revision of the constitution or legal instruments which is an infringement on the principles of democratic change of government. You see, this is what we refer to as a constitutional coup. In other words, the African Union uh, is telling its member countries that any effort to uh, amend the constitution simply to allow someone to continue to stay in power is not uh, something that should be uh, done because it is against uh, uh, constitutional uh, uh, principles. And so the question then is uh, what happens if uh, a military officer overthrows the government? Okay. So according to the African Union, shortly after the coup, the chairman of the African Union Commission should condemn the coup and clearly and unequivocally warn the coup makers that under no circumstances will, will the illegal action be tolerated or recognized by the African Union. A period of six months should be given to the coup makers to restore constitutional government. During those six months, the government formed by the coup makers is suspended from uh, participating in the activities of the African Union. The chair of the African Union Commission should monitor events during these six months to determine what kind of progress the coup makers are making towards uh, transitioning the country to democratic rule. At the end of the, two, uh, the six months, uh, targeted sanctions should be imposed if the regime, the military regime, has not yet fully restored uh, the civilian government. <coughs> Excuse me. The coup makers may be tried by a, before a competent court of the African Union. In other words, the African Union is saying here that if you are a coup maker 
you could be hauled be, before the, a, a competent court of the African Union and tried and punished for your behavior. Now, the Assembly of Heads of State and Government of the African Union may impose other sanctions. This is very important. Coup makers must not be allowed to participate in elections uh, held to restore the democratic order or hold any position of responsibility in political institutions of their state. In other words, if a soldier is involved in overthrowing the government, then that soldier should not be allowed to participate in any post-coup government or any election held after the coup to transition the country to civilian government. Great. So I want to bring us to our final question of the episode. Since August of last year, there have been more coups in sub-Saharan Africa than at any other time for the past two, two decades. So I want to conclude our episode by talking about the stakes of this current moment. So are there any particular conditions of this current moment that is causing this spike in coups? And what can this be viewed as a turning point in the African democratic movement? And what needs to be done to, um, to ensure the continuation of democratic progress in Africa? But yeah, just turning to the stakes of this particular moment and uh, the potential for it to change the future of the continent. Well, the, the thing is uh, that military coups are a threat to peaceful coexistence. Uh, and without peace, peaceful coexistence, you cannot have the kind of investment that you need for economic growth so that you, you create the wealth that you need to deal with extreme poverty and improve the living conditions of uh, the people. Uh, there is no way in, in, in Africa where the military, by intervening in government, has actually succeeded in improving economic conditions in the military. Uh, virtually all military interventions in Africa have ended up badly in that they've destroyed the country, destroyed the productive capacity of the country, and have placed countries in a position in which they have not been able to extricate themselves from those situations. If you look at the history of military coups in Africa, you see that military coups in countries like Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and Liberia led to civil, uh, uh, devastating civil wars that destroyed the countries, and those countries are still uh, suffering from uh, those uh, uh, civil wars. In other countries like Egypt and, uh, and uh, 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 Mali, uh, military coups actually placed the military in a position to dominate uh, political economy in those countries for many, many, many years to come. And so you, you, your question, part of your question was, what has uh, 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 um, led to this recent search in military coups. I think, uh, although there are many uh, reasons, some of them uh, military opportunism, uh, uh, opportunism by undisciplined soldiers could be one way to look at it. But I think a much more fundamental issue has to do with the fact that the civilian governments that came into power in the, 19th, uh, in the 1990s uh, or that came into power recently as uh, 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 civilian leaders in, in uh, uh, Egypt and uh, uh, Guinea and uh, Mali. The civilian, those civilian leaders failed to do what they were put in power to do, and that was to improve economic conditions uh, for the people, to promote development, to promote peaceful coexistence. 
and provide opportunities for citizens to engage in self-actualization. This did not happen. Some of these leaders uh, uh, went in and were maximizing uh, their own self-interest or the interests of the ethnic groups that they represented or the interests of the factions, maybe religious factions that they represented or ethnic, uh, uh, ethno-linguistic factions that uh, they represented. As you see, uh, the problems in Ethiopia uh, uh, very similar to what is happening uh, in, in many other countries like uh, uh, Central African Republic. So what happened was that the civilian governments that went in, that had an opportunity to provide an environment in which people could engage in activities to, to uh, create wealth for themselves, an environment in which all groups, not just some groups, okay, all groups, all ethnic groups, all uh, uh, ethno-linguistic groups, all religious groups, all the citizens of a country could engage in activities to develop themselves. That was not happening. The, the opportunism of these uh, leaders created a situation in which a lot of groups that had been looking forward to uh, a democratic systems, providing them with an opportunity to engage in uh, uh, to, to get a, a good education so they could go on and uh, uh, provide for themselves, to get good health care so they could uh, uh, be healthy enough to participate in the economy, uh, to, to have an opportunity to become an entrepreneur, uh, and so on and so on. All this uh, didn't happen. And so many people got really frustrated and started going on the streets and um, <clears throat> demonstrating, and these demonstrations became uh, 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 more widespread because of the arrival of the internet, which allowed people to organize more effectively than they did previously. And so this uh, gave the military an opportunity. It gave opportunistic military officers who were not interested, not really interested in changing the, the, the system and providing people with opportunities for development, but interested in maximizing their own uh, 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 interest to intervene in government. And so you could say that it was the failure. So though there are a lot of reasons why you have military coups, and I cannot overemphasize this. Some of the military coups are simply uh, the opportunistic activities of individuals who want to maximize their own self-interest or the interests of the group that they represent, the faction that they represent, whether that faction is a religious faction or uh, uh, um, uh, an ethno-linguistic faction, okay? So that is uh, uh, a very uh, big possibility. But mo most fundamental is the fact that the leaders, civilian leaders who came into these countries during the last several decades, have not been able to fulfill the uh, promises that they made when they went into government. I mean, when you look at a country like Nigeria, which in terms of natural resources is one of the richest countries in Africa, yet in 2018, it was reported that Nigeria uh, uh, took over from India as the country with the largest number of people living in extreme poverty. Or you look at a country like South Africa that is highly developed and yet it has one of the highest levels of inequality in, 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 in the world. Or you look at a country like Cameroon that has a lot of natural resources, and yet 
a lot of people in the country are running away, trying to dying in the Sahara Desert because they are trying to flee to Europe to have an opportunity to uh, 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 get an education and provide for themselves. And so all these problems, the failure of these uh, uh, civilian leaders to do what they were supposed to do is one of the reasons why soldiers are having that opportunity, that window to come in and intervene into government. So uh, as a way forward, my suggestion is that African countries need to provide themselves with institutions that will make it very, very difficult, A, for the, the, the people who serve in government, civil servants and politicians, to engage in opportunistic behaviors like corruption, self-dealing, to maximize their own interests and the interests of the groups that they represent. Number two, to make it very difficult for the president to easily violate constitutional principles and extend his or her stay in power beyond the two terms that are granted to that president by the constitution. You need to have an amendment process for the constitution that is robust enough to make it very difficult for the president to easily change the constitution and remain in power and continue to act with impunity. Because if, if, if you allow presidents to continue to do that, uh, to, to uh, uh, put themselves above the law, then it becomes very difficult for the ordinary person to obey the law. That frustration will lead a lot of people to engage in the kinds of mass demonstrations that will open the door for the military to uh, intervene in power. So number three, we want to make sure that we have institutions in Africa that make it very difficult for the military to engage in any coup and get away with it. And this institution, we need a, a, a strong independent uh, judiciary. We need a strong executive. We need uh, a, a, legislative, a, a legislature that is divided into two chambers, uh, two equal chambers, so that when, when, when uh, a, a president misbehaves, those uh, chambers can discipline the president very effectively. You need a strong civil society and strong civil society organization. You need a civil society that is politically active. Uh, you need uh, independent press, newspapers that can criticize the government and not be uh, 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 outlawed by the government, a judiciary that can, take the, can tell the government, no, what you're doing is unconstitutional or is illegal and prevent the government from uh, uh, doing so. And, and uh, finally, we cannot underestimate or, or uh, the, uh, uh, we cannot overstate the importance of a politically active civil society. And of course, in order for civil society to be politically active, to do what it's supposed to do and, uh, and check against uh, the abuse of power by the president and other members of the government, uh, uh, that civil society has to be allowed to have the means to do so. So you, you need to have, the constitution needs to guarantee certain uh, liberties, including the right to form political parties and participate in government, the right to have independent newspapers, uh, uh, the right to speak out your mind, and so on, and so on, and so on. If we don't do this, military coups will remain a very dangerous part uh, of government in Africa and will continue to threaten peace and security 
uh, in African countries. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor. Um, it was a very insightful podcast, and I definitely learned a lot. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.